Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that we can sit here today and listen to your word and have it explained to us. Please give us understanding and wisdom and help us to apply it to our lives um, as we hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the reading is from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 17, and it can be found on page 558 of your pew Bibles. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place, it will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within sixty-five years Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. This is the word of the Lord. Excellent. My name's uh, Dave Shannon. I'm one of the ministers here. If I haven't met you before, a special warm welcome uh, to you this morning. <clears throat> well, I wonder if you ever associate uh, songs with particular holidays. I know when we visited England a few years ago over Christmas, uh, at all the churches that we attended, we kept singing this song with a refrain, Rejoice! Rejoice! And our two-year-old at the time loved it. They would sing loud and proud whenever they heard a rejoice, rejoice. And that word was stuck in our heads. And it really would have made a great soundtrack to the movie of our holiday if we ever, we didn't, but that would have been great. But it's actually the next word in the song that we never really even focused on. But it's the reason that we rejoice. It is rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. We rejoice because of Emmanuel, God with us. And Emmanuel is a word that we associate with Christmas. We hear Emmanuel and think, well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And we should, because at Christmas we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the God-man who came to be with us and to save us. 
And the word Emmanuel, well, it actually comes from the Old Testament. Uh, Tim just read it for us from the book of Isaiah, from the Old Testament. And that was actually written 700 years, 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And while we could have looked at Matthew's Gospel, where, where this is quoted, uh, we've decided over the Christmas period to look at some of the Isaiah passages. Isaiah is a, is a great book, a prophet, uh, that mentions so many times, so many pointers to, to Jesus. And so we're actually going to spend a bit of time in Isaiah over the Christmas period. Because we can often miss the significance of those Isaiah passages in their original context. And so we're actually going to spend the time there. And what we'll notice is we're going to see two stories. We'll see one story from Isaiah and another story from Matthew uh, from Matthew's Gospel. But even though they are two different stories, they are very similar. There is a very similar pattern. There is a sign, the sign of Emmanuel, and how that is received is very similar in both cases. It can be accepted with faith, it can be trusted, it can be believed, or it can be rejected and denied in unbelief. Well, let's have a look there at Isaiah, shall we? Please do uh, follow along uh, in, uh, in the Bibles there. We see from the uh, opening uh, verse the kind of the situation, the first couple of verses of, of kind of what's going on. Uh, the date is about 735 BC. Uh, and we see there in verse 1 that Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uriah, was king of Judah. Now for those non-history buffs among us, which is probably most of us, me included, this actually means that it's after the split of the kingdom. So Israel was a nation under King David. It was one unified nation. And then because of David and his sin, well, the kingdom split. The kingdom split in two. And so there was the, the northern tribe that was the significantly bigger. In fact, I've got a map, actually. Do you want to, I've got a map that you can actually see this. That they were the, the bigger half. You can see they're the orange and Judah were the smaller in the south. Uh, and King Ahaz, well, he's the king of that smaller section. Uh, and he is under threat. He and his nation are under threat. They are under attack. They are about to be sieged. And that is because Assyria was the super massive power, superpower of the, na- of the time. They were eating nations for breakfast, wiping out anyone that stood in their way. In fact, I think I've also got a, a, a picture of whatever that dude was. Uh, I, I forget his name. Oh, that's the next one. Anyway, some picture, some kind of... Well, there we are, there we go. There are some of the kings of Assyria there. Uh, and so what, Assy- what the Ahaz, the king of Judah, did to a kind of appease the king of Assyria, he made, paid him a massive tribute. He gave him all this stuff so that he wouldn't hurt them. So he kind of paid so he could get into their good books. But at the same time, so you've got this big power supernation kind of coming there threatening... But at the same time, the nearest neighbours, if you want to go back to that other map, the map I had before, uh, Aram and Israel, both to the north, uh, they were wanting to stick it to Assyria. They were trying to gang up together, to work together and kind of go, yeah, we're going to take you down, Assyria. And so they wanted Is- uh, Judah, sorry, they wanted Judah to kind of join forces, that the three nations together, that they could kind of stick it to Assyria. But they kind of wanted to force Judah into it. Judah didn't want to do it. And so they, they'd actually got their armies together to kind of battle against Judah, to enforce them, to join them in battling against Assyria. 
And so Ahaz, the king of Judah, he's freaking out. He's shaking in his boots. Have a look there at verse 2. The hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They are freaking out because of these forces that are rallying against them to infiltrate them, to force them to, to attack this superpower. But you see, God sends his messenger. God sends his prophet, Isaiah, to speak to Ahaz. And God tells the king of, uh, of Judah, have a look there at verse 4, be careful, keep calm, and do not be afraid. Do not lose heart. In terms of that, the situation of him shaking in his boots, what comforting and reassuring words these would have been from the God Almighty, the one who created all things by the power of his word. God says these kings, Aram and Israel, they're nothing. They're nothing. They're, they're, they're all talk. They're saying they're going to wipe you out and destroy you, but they've got nothing on you. Verse 7, it will not take place, God tells them. It will not happen. But here's the thing. Ahaz has to trust God. He's got to trust God. Verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. You see, Ahaz, the king of Judah, he has to trust God and his word. He's got to stand firm and trust that what God has told him will take place. But you see, here's the conundrum and challenge for Ahaz. He can see with his eyes the threat that is in front of him. He can see these nations coming together to siege, to attack them, and he is terrified. And yet he's been encouraged by God's word, by God himself, these wonderful, reassuring words. It's not going to happen. It's not going to take place. You've just got to trust me. And God takes another step, another step towards Ahaz to help him, prompt him to faith. God tells Ahaz, he tells the king, ask for any sign, any sign of any magnitude, small, big, whatever, from the depths of the deeps, from the deepest depths to to the highest of heights. You ask for anything and I'll do it to show you that what I'm telling you is true. God is pulling out all the stops to move Ahaz to faith. But Ahaz, what does he do? Well, in his folly, he rejects God. He may seem hyper-spiritual. Oh, I'd never put God to the test. Oh, no, 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 I wouldn't do that. Even though God had told him, tell me anything and I'll do it for you to show you. Crazy. What a crazy guy. But here's the thing. Isaiah, God had actually said this would take place. Earlier in in chapter 6, God says that the rebellious, they would not listen. They would not understand. And so I've got the, the words up here on the screen. This is what God said to those rebellious. He said, they would be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. You see, Ahaz the king of Judah, he was a rebellious king who did not trust God. 
and would not listen to his word. And so despite rejecting the sign, no, 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 I won't put God to the test, God gives him a sign anyway. And, and its meaning was hidden. Its meaning was hidden because of his rebellious heart. Have a look there at verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now we hear that and we think Christmas, just hold your horses. It does have meaning here in Isaiah as well. You see, this sign for Ahaz was not a sign of comfort because, verse 7, he did not respond in faith. In fact, he has rejected God's word. He's rejected God himself. And so this sign actually becomes a sign of judgment as the the following verses uh, 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 make clear. You see, a time is coming when, when this son who is about to be born When this son grows and matures, at that point, these kings that he's afraid of, well, they're going to be laid to waste. They will be utterly destroyed. And who's going to destroy these kings of Aram and Israel? Well, it's Assyria. Assyria will wipe them out. And God's going to use them as his tool. It's described there like they are his clippers, to shave their head, to, to cut their beard. Not my beard, obviously, but their beard. He's going to destroy them. With, with They are his tool. Assyria, this big, crazy, powerful nation, they are going to be God's tool to wipe them out. And they will be wiped out as well. You see, this sign for the unbelieving Ahaz is a sign of judgment. He has not repented. He has not left his evil, rebellious ways. He has not listened to God's word. He has not trusted God. And so God will not be with him. Did you know in some of the old nursery rhymes they had some veiled messages? Like, bar, bar, black sheep. So innocent. Such an innocent song, uh, nursery rhyme. But actually it was written... Uh, because of a many evil wool tax imposed by the king in the 13th century. Under this new tax, a third of the cost of a sack of wool would go to the king, a third to the church, and a third to the farmer who produced it. What a crazy tax that would have been. And so in the original, there's, there's no wool left for the little boy who lives down the lane. You see, Ahaz, he didn't understand the sign of Emmanuel. Its meaning was veiled. But you see, for those who did listen to God, who did trust his word, well, they understood. And they were the faithful remnant, the faithful few, small in number, very small in number, but they were the faithful few who still remained in Jerusalem, who remained faithful to God and his word, who trusted him. And it is to them that the sign of Emmanuel was a sign of great promise and hope. And so we see in in Isaiah chapter 1 that Zion, uh, that is Jerusalem, is is painted as, as a woman. And so while the city is under siege, under attack, it's described in this sign as, as a young woman who's 
already conceived and right now in the pains of childbirth. Now, it seems like it's a young woman rather than, than virgin here in this context, as the footnote kind of shows us, that is a woman of maritable age who is sexually mature, who's already conceived, and right now she's, she's giving birth. That is the pain. In the midst of their siege, she is giving birth. And who is the son? Well, the son is Jerusalem's faithful. The faithful few have remained faithful to God, who, who will emerge from this time of suffering. And that is why uh, this is a great comfort, because Emmanuel, God, will be with them. Those faithful few who have trusted God, God will be with them. And it's quite the contrast to Ahaz, isn't it? Ahaz rebellious, rejects God and his word. But for those who trust in trust God, well, God is with them. God will protect them. And it seems like the actual son is Isaiah's son. We see there in verse 3 that when, when uh, Isaiah takes his son uh, to meet with Ahaz, uh, and his name there is Sher Jeshab, which means, you may have a footnote there for, the remnant return, or as I read this week, I think it kind of fits better, a remnant repent. That is, they repent. They turn to God and trust and stick with God and desire his prophet. Because it's these people who show wholehearted reliance on the Lord, despite the threat that is happening around them, despite the carnage that is taking place in Jerusalem, they are the ones who trust and stick stick with God. You see, Ahaz, the king of Judah, he's offered a reassuring sign during troubling times. But it becomes a sign of judgment because he doesn't trust God. You see, he fears the world. And he fears what he sees with his eyes, what is before him, rather than trusting the God who knows and sees all things, who is in control and sovereign over all things. He fears the world, not the God who controls the world. And you see, I think that is a danger for us today. We live in troubling times. Lots of things can trouble us, give us doubts, cause us to worry. So many things, climate change, pollution, the, the, the pressure to do our bit to, to protect and care for this world. It could be the stuff that's been happening at church the last year or so. It could be the, the society that we live in that has changed so much, the governments, the politicians who are redefining things contrary to God and his word. It could be the health of loved ones. It could be the economy, the, the increasing house prices, the, the decrease in our superannuation, wars and rumours of wars. There, there are so many things that can bring us great cause of fear and worry in our lives. We can fear these things because we can put our hope in these things. But if we hope in these things, they will always fail. Our hope must be in the God who controls all things. Of course it doesn't mean we don't recycle and, and do our bit. Of course we do that. And of course we should look after and, and think about our, 
our money and being wise, wise stewards with the things God gives us. And of course we should see doctors and the like. But we must have ultimate hope in God and his word who controls all things, even the things that seem to be blowing up all over the place. You see, the world is groaning, as Romans 8 tells us, groaning, waiting for Christ's return, when all things will finally be righted. And so until then, corruption and evil, sickness and death will continue to plague this world. But we know that is not the end. We've got to trust God and his word that he has it covered and that he will return to fix this. But we must wait for his timing. And so just like in Isaiah, it is the faithful remnant, the faithful few who stick to God in troubling times, And the sign of Emmanuel becomes a great sign of hope and promise. God will protect them and be with them. While the sign of Emmanuel would have brought great comfort to the faithful in in Isaiah's day, who trusted God and his word, and it's a word that continues to bring comfort today to all people in whom this promise ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus. And the first person who heard it after Isaiah's day was was Joseph, as in Mary and Joseph. I'm going to follow along now in Matthew's Gospel. So if you want to flick over to Matthew chapter 1, it's on page 783. Matthew chapter 1. And we're following along from verse uh, 18. Well, this is written 700 years after uh, Isaiah first penned his prophecy. And Joseph, well, he too finds himself in a troubling situation. Well, he's engaged to Mary uh, and his bride-to-be, she's pregnant, she's knocked up. And he's not the father. And so as the honourable man that he is, he not wanting to bring her shame, he decides to, to break it up with her on the down low, on, on the quiet. And while Joseph's figuring out his next steps, an angel, a messenger from the Lord, well, comes to him in a dream. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to marry Mary. Yes, she's pregnant, but not from a bloke. She's been conceived by the Holy Spirit. God is the one who has placed this child into her womb. Uh, As we see from verse 22, have a look there. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the words first spoken by Isaiah 700 years earlier, find their fulfilment in this Son, Jesus. He is the Emmanuel, God with us. And we get more details of him here, though, in in Matthew's Gospel. Have a look up there at verse 21. 
she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You say his name, it's got to be Jesus. And, and, and we see the name, what that name means if we look at the footnote. If you see down uh, below at the bottom of the page, it says, the Lord saves. You see, Jesus, in his name, it shows that he is the one who will save his people, who will save his people from their sins. And so if people need saving, if they need rescuing, then there's obviously a problem. And maybe it's a problem that we don't even realise that we have. We are in a plight. We are in a difficult situation in which we need to be delivered from. And we are there because of our evil, naughty selves. It's like that video that we saw earlier. I really, I really like that book. I've got a spare copy, by the way, when Santa in the Gospel. If you don't have a copy, I've got one. I'd like to give it to you. I really like it. I, I really like that. Uh, that. It's a great kid's book. It doesn't criticise Santa. Um, uh, for people who play the Santa game, but uh, it really shows the inconsistency. Did you notice that? The inconsistency of the, the naughty and nice lists. There is these double standards about how you can get on his good list. And as Santa realises, he's like, man, even I'm on the naughty list. And he deserves coal. But the book hits the nail on the head. The reality is we are all not nice. We are all naughty. We, we all do evil from, from time to time. And that's just to each other. I'm not even speaking yet about the way that we reject God, our maker and, and sustainer. And his standards, we, we fall far short of those standards. We owe him our all and we certainly don't give him anywhere near. And it's what the Bible calls sin, rebellion against God, and we are all guilty. But despite being like that, despite being rebellious sinners who need a saviour, God comes to us in that place, the Emmanuel, God with us. He knows full well what we are like, rebels, And yet despite that, he comes to provide a way that we can be with him. And so as this son, Jesus, he deals with our sins so that we can be in relationship with him. And so we see here from the very start of the life of Jesus, in fact even before his birth, we see what Jesus is on about. He is on a rescue mission. He has come to save. He came to be with us to save us. And that is what we celebrate at Easter, where he died on the cross, where he took our place, our punishment, so that we could be right with God. You see, his humble beginning leads to a humiliating death. But he does it so that he can be with us and we can be with him in relationship with him. He came to rescue us. And so just like in the time that this was first written in Isaiah's day, it is those who trust in him, they are the ones who will be saved. Those who trust the Emmanuel, they are the ones in whom Jesus, the one who saves, will be with. You see, to trust the Son means that God is with you and that you are saved. 
But you see, just like in Ahaz's day, there is a veil message. There is the flip side. The reverse is true too. Because to reject the Son, to not trust him, to not trust the Emmanuel, the one that God sent to be with us, means that we still need to be rescued. And to reject the one who saves is to reject the only one who can save us. And as again Romans tells us, we are still dead in our trespasses and sins and face God's judgment. Because to reject the Emmanuel is to reject the one who came to be with us and save us. But that doesn't need to be us. We don't need to be perfect. We can't be perfect. We're the biggest fa- I'm the biggest failure. We're all failures. We can't, we can't live up to God's standards. But actually all we need to do is trust the Son, to trust this Son, Emmanuel, who came to be with us to save and rescue us. You see, Emmanuel should bring us great comfort. Comfort for the, it was comfort for those in Isaiah's day, and it is comfort for us that the God of the universe at Christmas time came to be with us in whom we celebrate the birth of our Saviour, who came to be with us and rescue us. You see, Christmas, it's a wonderful time to ponder these things, to ponder the birth of Jesus, who came into the world with a humble beginning, but he did that to be with us, to be with his people, so that we would trust him. And so let me encourage you to ponder these truths over Christmas. Because God wants to be with us, Emmanuel, and to save us. And so that is something to truly rejoice about. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Let's pray. Father, there is so much to rejoice about at Christmas, particularly the birth of Jesus, our King, our Lord, the one who came on his rescue mission to save us. Despite what we're like, he still came to be with us and save us. We do thank you for for him, and we pray that you would help us uh, be truly thankful of him this Christmas. May we rejoice that the Emmanuel has come to be with us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.